People are strange. People get ready. People. People who need people. Jazzanuka. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's a strong journalistic question. Right? <laughs> that's why I get the big dollars. And welcome back. I started this podcast uh, a little over two months ago to, in order to talk to people just like my guest today. His name is Shane Morrow. He is the founder and executive director of Jazzanuga, which he is announcing um, along with doing this podcast. That he is changing the name to Rise, the Rise Collective. He's changing the name, as people often do, to better reflect everything that his organization now does. We talk about a lot of those things in this next almost hour conversation. We talk about his involvement with bringing the Levitt Amp Concert Series to Chattanooga. We talk about how that is opened up to local acts, musicians, and local vendors, uh, especially restaurateurs. We talk about the arts in general in Chattanooga. We talk about who's pulling the wagon when it comes to the arts and culture in Chattanooga. We talk about some of the barriers uh, that he's run across as a person of color trying to bring arts to all people. It's a wide-ranging discussion. It's all... uh, it's just a hard, deep look into what all's going on uh, in Chattanooga. I have talked a lot about it, all the renaissance that we have uh, going on, but it's not uh, its not 100% for everybody, and that's probably the majority of what we talk about. So I hope you'll give it a listen, and I hope you will keep coming back. I have uh, a lot of plans for future shows. So thank you. Here we go with my interview with Shane Morrow. Thank you so much. The idea behind people with Barry Quarter is these are people that one thing really, really cool or continue to add on to their thing, which I think is fits in your case. Thank you. Um, it's an ongoing thing. What I want to talk about, you, you mentioned you're looking at some changes. Yeah. Name changes, maybe some direction changes. Uh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about challenges uh-huh. that you face, that uh-huh. the city faces, that different communities face. Uh-huh. Um, for people listening, uh, Shane is African-American. Last time I checked, yes. Yeah. Last time you checked. <laughs> um, and so the, those are issues yes. uh, that we're going to talk about. Uh, arts and yeah. how the city, we've gone through this tremendous renaissance here in Chattanooga. If you're in certain circles. Yes. Interesting you say it that way. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, not just 
geographically, but uh, economically, socio, everything. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Great. Um, Shane, first of all, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Thanks for what you do. Um, how long have we known each other? When did you come back? Oh, man. You know, it's funny. I always share this story with a lot of people. And it was the story is, how did you meet up with Barry to give that line that you have been using uh, since the beginning of time with Jazzanooga? It was back in 2014 that you and I met. Yeah. Um, it was over on East Main Street. Um, and we, my very first interview um, ever, mm. ever. Really? Um, yeah, really. In okay. regard to Jazzanooga and what we were about, what we were going to do, and I was extremely nervous, which I'm always nervous to have a conversation, but you were so kind. You were so kind. Well, thank you. You know, and uh, the question that you asked me that I still share with people that I laugh about it because it really uh, puts into perspective uh, what we do. You said to me, what is Jazzanooga? <laughs> and I was like... Well, that's oh. a strong journalistic question. Right. <laughs> that's why I get the big dollars. That's why you get the big dollars. <laughs> You're right. But, you know, it really made me think. I'm like, how do I articulate to this man uh, what this type of movement is for not just uh, me as a co-founder, but for the the city as a movement. Um, and, I, and I answered you, Jazzanooga is what the community needs for it to be. And to this day, I still share with folks, what do you do? And I'm like, I do what the community needs for me to do. Yeah. Um, pertaining to arts and culture, through the power of the arts. You know, I always think that we underestimate what we do through the power of the arts. It's such a gateway, you know, of opening up opportunities to celebrate with each other, but also celebrate our differences right. through the power of the arts. Because one thing is always universal, and I always say that that's arts. It doesn't matter if you're African-American, Latina, Caucasian, you, we all can come together around the power of the arts. Yeah. You know, and I think that that has been our, one of our biggest motivators and one of our biggest drivers on the program and services that we do. It's a big difference, uh, phrasing it that way. We're, we're going to do what the community wants us to do. One of the early podcasts that I did was with Ann Law and Bruce Kaplan from yeah. Barking Legs. Um, she said essentially the same thing, and she's approached, I think, their mission that same way. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It's one thing um, to come to a community, any community, and say, I have this gift, I'm going to educate you, and y'all need to come around to my way of thinking. <laughs> you know, you need, you need, well, I don't mean to pick one, but you no, need no, ballet, no. you need classical music, you need opera, whatever it is, is your passion mm -hmm. to approach it that way. Yep. Versus, I need to come in as the artist and look around and realize they have opera already, or they have ballet already. Mm -hmm. What they don't have is community outreach for six-year-olds or ten-year-olds or you know whatever. Agreed. Again, I'm speaking in general terms, mm -hmm. but that's a huge difference. But I think that you, you you're right on point. You know, when background when you know when I first came to Tennessee and came to Chattanooga. 
you know, I realized that, you know, I, I had my background in nonprofit administration, but also my background in the arts. I had the opportunity to uh, showcase my gift, if you want to call that uh, that way, uh, over at the Chattanooga Theater Center. Mm -hmm. uh, 2004, um, the show was Raisin in the Sun. And I um, auditioned, I got the lead. I was like, oh, right, great, great, great. Um, ended up uh, with a fantastic run. And even ended up with uh, their prestigious Miss Annie Awards. Miss Annie, yeah, nice. Uh, for a lead actor. So I was so excited to go to the next level of you know, entertainment and performing. And I was told at that particular time by community members, well, you don't have to wait till next year for another play or slash musical at that time of for people of color. Mm. We're colorblind, but you, so you could audition for whatever. But we just know that these particular plays and performances that are adapted or created through and by African Americans, we probably do once a year. Yeah, I, I was I was taken aback. I was literally taken aback. So I at that particular time of growth for me, I, I have to thank Chattanooga Theater Center at that time because that was another motivator um, to say, well, you know, why don't we have another platform? to be able to showcase all of this talent and gifts that we have from the African-American community, but just for the underserved community at large. Jazzanooga, the creative underground, which actually it came from, started where I wanted to provide a creative platform for these people of, for these people of many gifts, but also to be a cultural bridge to the already existing program and services they had in Chattanooga. When we started working with the Hunter Museum, you know, we were doing a Black History Month celebrations there. Just before we started doing the very first official Jazz Fest, it was amazing to be that link to some of the community members that never walked up inside Bluffs View District. Mm. When I had a grandmother tell me with her three children, she got invited to a Black History Month celebration that we did at the Hunter. It was free. She never walked in the building. Never, Barry. Been here all her life. And she said, thank you, because I didn't know we could come in here. Wow. That still motivates me to this day about yeah. what we do. Wow. And how we do it. Try not to jump all over the place here, no, but please. that made me think. Um, the theater center saying that, that you're going to have to wait. Um, and you and I talked a little bit about this sort of way of thinking the last time we spoke. How much, and I'm asking you as somebody who's running your own organization, but also as a artist, in this case, who wanted to do theater. Mm -hmm. Where does th that whole we have to pay the bills kind of thing, uh, and I have a feeling we're going to mention money a lot because it always seems to come down to money. <laughs> <Doesn't it? laughs> yeah, my, my new favorite phrase is, yeah, we can do it if we can find the money. It's like we can do anything if we can find right. the money. But how much does that, uh, it just seems to me the more I dig deeper, and I've done this 30-something years, that mm -hmm. that, well, I'll ask you, how no, much please. of it is money? How much of it is racism, if you want to call it that? Okay. How much of it is uh, people just wanting to do things the way they've always been, call that laziness, whatever, you, you know, cultural laziness? Mm -hmm. 
I can only take it from the perspective of being a transplant here inside Chattanooga. There is a undertone of, uh, the, of the Chattanooga way. I had to discover um, through working with inside uh, the field of arts and culture that there was a Chattanooga way. There was a structure here with inside the in-the-box thinking that this is the protocol that we normally do. If you're looking for funding to expose more people or to do arts and culture, this is the, this is the uh, template that you have to use. Mm -hmm. I, I don't speak heavily about our discovery of how to do things because I think that a lot of people will tell you, well, you know, he's trying to be uh, more, they may perceive it to be that I'm being uh, boastful. But uh, we started with, uh, I started with my own money because I realized that, you know, I, to be able to say that I've made any measurable outcomes, I, I gotta do this on my own. It gives me an opportunity to have my grassroots approach on doing things, but also in the same breath, it gives me an opportunity to show you and others, hey, this is what I was able to do with just a little bit of money. Right. Imagine what I could do with more funding. So tying back into your question is that we didn't receive funding for what all the stuff that I was doing um, until 2015, 2014. I did not become a 501c3, a nonprofit, uh, officially till 2015. That's truth. So all the other years that people saw us doing things came out of pocket. It was one of our local, foundation, local foundations that came to us and said, hey, we see what you're doing. Can we give you some funding? Yeah. Ironically enough. To answer your, to go back to the root of your question, I, I think that, you know, there is a, there is a turning, of the, turning of the page here in Chattanooga. More individuals of color are recognizing their self-worth when it comes to the programming that they do and the events that they do, and they've never received a lot of funding for that. When you look at our city as a whole, Barry, there's only a four, I think four of us, maybe five of us, and cultural arts organizations are minority-based in the whole city. We're one of the few organizations that have been able to get national awards in our city. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. Why, why is that so? I wasn't able to do what I do without the contributions of others. I, I'm blessed to have the local foundations, but if I went the, the regular path of going through the, the template that I was told to do, I would never got any funding. Let me see if I can bring everyone up to speed uh, as you're talking. I'm I, sorry. I, no, no, no. I realized I didn't do a very good job of setting up. Um, Jazzanooga, when you and I met in, in 2014, was your original concept was to do, was it one weekend or one week or it was a... Wow, it's great. Yeah, we started at... <laughs> We started as a, believe it or not, it was a one-day community festival, a jazz fest that we wanted to do to right celebrate. Right up here in the church mm -hmm. front yard, right? And uh, also at the Hunter. You okay. know, that was doing it at the yeah, Hunter. Yeah. And we wanted to uh, just bring more exposure to how Chattanooga played a crucial role in 
defining what we see today as jazz. Um, it's, it's celebrated worldwide, but folks don't seem to understand that jazz originated from the South. Right. Created by us, through us. And there were other individuals outside of Betsy Smith that gave their huge contributions to this art form, which is I call, and a lot of other folks call, the American's classical music. It was created by us. So you had the Wilfred, Wilfred Miller Brooks. You've had right. um, individuals. You're, uh, you're good. I'm sorry. Individuals like uh, Ishmael Reed. Yeah. Uh, Lovey Austin, other individuals that are, were. Who are all on posters that you're pointing to that hang in the windows of the, of the storefront here, which is significant. Again, one day was the original yes, idea when you day. and I talked. And then it, <laughs> it quickly grew to multi-day. Yeah. And then not long after that, you went to a storefront. You had your own building. Mm -hmm. So it became year-round. Yes. With teaching programs, workshops, concerts, more events. For sure. Um, so... And that's part of what has always fascinated me about you and the work that's going on is given what I know, it probably doesn't seem like it to you, but that's a pretty quick rise. <laughs> <laughs> probably didn't seem like it when you were cleaning out rat feces. Oh, and, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. But that's a pretty meteoric rise given all things. And, and the other side of it, to, to go back a little bit to the history of um, the Chattanooga Way that you referenced uh, for a long, long time, decades, we had something called uh, arts, well, it was arts build, is it's what it's called now. Uh -huh. um, Allied arts is what it was called before. It served as sort of a clearinghouse for 14 to 16, depending on the year, local agencies. This yes. would be your symphony and opera, your, ten your Tennessee Ballet, the Houston, the Hunter, um, Shake and Ray Levi's, the, the bigger organizations, yes. though Shake and Ray was, was not. The, the, the reality is the Hunter, the Houston, and the Symphony got the lion's share of all of the funding that it raised, hmm. which was a big, big issue, hmm. um, which I can only imagine it was hard enough for the smaller of those groups. It was probably near impossible for groups not in that group trying to get funding. Um, the idea was one organization could go to multiple donors and get money rather than all 16 of them go knocking on right. the same doors 16 times during the day. And, okay, and I guess at that particular time, and I didn't mean to cut you off, Barry. No, that's fine. Um, it, it makes, it made sense. It made absolute sense on paper. And, but, but the reality is, is it probably did keep some folks out, well, certainly did, like kept outside looking in, right? Oh, no, for How sure. How could it not have? Oh, for sure. I think that, you know, the focus is, you know, we were trying to strengthen these cultural institutions, but let's get back to the root. The root is that we speak about arts for all. How inclusive were those cultural institutions at that particular time? Sure. Um, opening up the door for all folks from all walks, from all socioeconomic backgrounds. Yeah. Um, and this gets to the heart of my question. Because you and I had this discussion once before, and, and it's, a, it's an interesting topic to me. Mm -hmm. um, is it, is it um, 
what's the word, uh, mischievous racism, or is it institutional racism? Mm. Is, it insti is it racism just by cause and effect? Some would argue, yes. if I have my check, mm -hmm. and I like the symphony and opera, Doggone it. they're getting my check. Period. Now, if they so happen to include broader section of the culture, mm -hmm. so be it, but that's not my concern. Right. Let me, let, let, let me get down to the nitty-gritty. Right. Let me get to the nitty-gritty and answer that. We all have a responsibility to make sure that we increase audience participation in the arts, period. If my $5 is going to go to an organization to keep up that organization, yes, you, you have every right to say where your dollars want to go. It's up to that cultural institution to recognize for the person that can give $5, there are 20 people that can't that need to be able to have the same access to what they offer for the, for the donors that can give and for the donors, again, that cannot. We have, I just spoke to the city council recently about asking for our city to recognize or increase more awareness to arts programming. We spend so much money on so many other things. When I look at our rec centers, or as you call them now, the Youth and Family uh, Development Centers, one key way of reaching out to the public at large, especially the underserved, underserved community, is tying in arts programming that could be able to help them elevate not just their skill set, but also to be able to have a way to express themselves creatively so they'll be more open to finding out the, all these great opportunities that we have here in the city. No one should be afraid, Barry, which I hear a lot, of coming downtown. When you hear people from East Lake area or people from Alton Park saying, you know, downtown's not meant for me, then what, what are we doing? What are we doing as a city? But going back to these cultural institutions that, getting, that were getting dollars, how are you opening up the door? Don't tell me that you're having one free day or a reduced day uh, for individuals uh, who are underserved, who don't have the money to come in. That's great for that one day, but what about the continuation throughout the year? I did, I was sat on a panel, I'd forgotten about this, at a church a couple of years ago uh, that had a lot of um, inner cities, what we would call them, urban, yeah. underserved communities, yeah. put it that way, way underserved communities. All, all races, all types, all, everybody was there. And I have to admit, being completely naive mm -hmm. to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, in my Mr. I know everything because I get the paper and I see all these lists. <laughs> I said, I don't know, I said something like, well, the Coolidge Park has XYZ and the symphony does this and, and, all, and I reeled off a bunch of things because it was about this time of year, so there were a lot of events, I think it was. And a woman looked at me uh, and she said, how much does it cost to get down there? And I was like, what do you mean? She said, I don't have $1.50 for all five of my kids to get on a bus and feed them. And she said, that's a $20 a day or whatever. Right, right. That's what I mean by that naivete. It, you know, that $20 to her 
is huge, or five, or a hundred, whatever the number is. If you don't have it, you don't You'll have, have it. it. And if you do have it, and you're limited. And it, it has to go to something else. You know, if I gotta pay a bill, if I gotta keep electric in my house. Right. Or I need to go down and look at a piece of art. Right. So, and then we'll come back to that, because that's one of the reasons you're changing part of what you're doing. But that access thing mm -hmm. was the point of that that, that, that struck me. Um, and I just lost my train of thought. That's all right. You'll I get it back. An, I'll get it back. But it was, it was along those same lines of the perception of things and access and, and making it available. Um, oh, I know what it was. It, one of the themes uh, about this podcast that I'm already finding, um, and again, it goes back to the many years of covering everything that I've covered for the paper, which in a lot of ways is the arts, is... Yes. Every single study, whatever you want to look at and find, mm -hmm. the arts changes people's lives. Yes. For the positive. Yes. And it's not in ways that, that people might think. I read something yesterday. Somebody said, if you don't think you need the arts, then spend the next 30 days without television and radio or books or right. magazines or any of those things. Social media. Social media. <laughs> but in a lot of yeah, social media. But in a lot of ways, I think people uh, wrongly think that is just entertainment. Mm. One of the podcasts that I did, and I think you know her, is Holly Mulcahy. Yes. Um, I hope people will go back and listen to that. She goes into prisons, uh, plays music, and then asks the prisoners what they think, mm -hmm. what they hear. It's an amazing program, but the takeaway is that I talked to several of the prisoners and they said, no one ever asked me my feelings before. I never knew a grown man could have feelings. I never knew how to use those emotions and those thoughts and this type of music as a launching point to have a discussion right. with another human being. Mm -hmm. So rather than punch you in the head because I'm feeling whatever, let's talk about it. They didn't know that was possible until this simple little hour-long art program. It is so hard, Barry, for me to talk about uh, the lack of awareness and access to the arts here because it's personal. It's personal not because I am a quote-unquote co-founder, director of a nonprofit. It's because I'm a person of color and I realize that if I did not know about how to obtain the access to the arts because I am blessed to have the little extra dollar to do so, I struggle with when I deal with families from certain communities who have no clue on their worth, their value, how the arts can play something positive inside their lives. Mm. So it's, as I try to be politically correct all the time <laughs> being a nonprofit, I also get emotionally charged because I feel as if we should not have to be in a struggle to define what access means for arts in Chattanooga. We, we shouldn't. Okay, so there's the rub. How do we get that person in East Lake, that woman in 
White Oak or wherever they happen to live that don't live downtown. And, and I've talked about this many times. The, the renaissance, renaissance that I spoke of mm -hmm. in reality is in the valley. It's downtown. Oh, it's yeah. between the two mountains and, <laughs> and the ridge. Right. Um, and it, it probably even is tighter than that. It's probably from Bailey to the river. And um, I don't think there's any question about that. I think most people would realize that. The, there aren't a lot of art centers and none of the Vision 2000, none of that stuff is seeing its way out uh -uh. to Hickson. There's a couple of centers and a couple of churches. I take that back. There's a couple of theaters uh, that are doing some. For the, but for the most part, it's all downtown. Yeah. So how do we get either the arts out to those people or, or those people to downtown and... It's got to come down to money. It always comes down to money. It comes to money, but it also comes to um, willingness. Willingness to make change and thinking outside the box. You know, I always go to layman terms about, you know, you don't need a lot of dollars to make a hell of a difference. You don't. You just got to figure out, number one, am I really seeing the need of the community? And number two, do I care? Mm. Do I really care? Yeah. Because if you care, you'll make a way. Well, you'll, you'll make a way. Case in point. Case in point. We've second year that we're doing the Levitt Music Series. Free ten weeks. It's a national grant that we received. The reason why I went for this particular grant, and we're, I'm so blessed that we're successfully got it for two years, is because it's free. It allows people to come and get high-quality performances live for free. It allows for us to also put a spotlight in a show to spotlight our local artists. That was, a, that was something that I placed inside the programming. That it wasn't a requirement for the Levitt Music Series. And for folks that don't know what the Levitt Music Series is, from the Levitt Foundation, a national organization that only awards 15 cities inside the nation an opportunity to create this platform of 10 weeks free music. Um, and through great collaborations, we were able to get it for two years in a row. It's a, let me, mm -hmm. real quick. Please. It's a little bit more interesting than that because it's, it's detailed. You, you, the community, in this case you, yes. have to show a collaboration with several other people. It can't just be one person, one organization. So you, right. well, can it? Yeah, you can be. It okay. can be, but I think that you know we decided early on that it would be we would have greater possibilities to be able to get the actual award uh, to show our great collaborations in the city because it was just easier for us to show that we do work together to try to make a difference. So you worked with Convention and Visitors Bureau yes. and a couple of the foundations yep. to do for I guess marketing funding because the Levitt pays the acts. That's what the grant goes towards. It also, they want you to put it in a part of the community that is underserved. Yes. In our case, we had it at the Bessie Smith Hall on the end, in the Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Right. Other cities have done it where, um, you know, it used to be a thriving area. They start putting this in, and the ones that have done it for a long time, mm -hmm. now you've got vendors that come down there. Right. Now you've got storefronts that came out of those truck vendors or mm -hmm. whatever so it's developed into bringing 
people back to the community. And that's really the ultimate goal, I think, of, of the Levitt, from what they've told me. From No, no, you're absolutely right. I think that how we were able to, uh, I think, how we were able to enhance um, the series, that because the uh, Levitt Foundation actually had me come out to New Orleans to talk about the great community outreach that we've been able, we as a community, been able to do to get folks to actually come and also to vote. Um, I think our big difference and what really was a great hook for us was the great collaborations, also talking about this historical district of the Big Nine, which uh, formerly known, or formerly known, but now known as, I should say, the ML King Boulevard. We were able to raise, they give you $25,000, you have to match that twenty-five, and I share publicly with folks that we raised a hundred thousand dollars two years in a row, mm. because with their twenty-five thousand dollars, we could have just went local and regional. I wanted to guarantee that we can get top acts to come to Chattanooga for free for right. our community, because I feel as if for the ones that cannot pay, Barry, here's your opportunity to see a big Frida. Uh, Tank and the Bangas, uh, the Avery Sunshines, an eclectic mix of music absolutely free because I know that's going to change the perspective, to change the, the view, excuse me, of not just the downtown area for the underserved, but it's also going to hopefully enhance and motivate some of our local performers saying that I got an opportunity to perform before Big Frida. I had an opportunity right. to perform before Petro Martinez, right? you know, so we're not only giving out f this great quality of programming, we're giving opportunity for our local artists to open up for national acts. And again, for those vendors, local vendors to come and sell food. So it's, that's, that's why I, I wanted to go back and make sure Please. we talked about this because it's bigger than. Yes, it is. I got to see a free show. Yep. It, and it, the collaboration it's part of it is important. Agreed, and I think that you know it. It also gives a a nod to our local small businesses uh, to have them because I know that we ask for local vendors to come, and we at, we charge close to nothing for them to be there. The money should not ever be an issue for individuals to enhance what they have, you know. So when I look at Odd Story Brewery, or if I'm looking at Mimos, or I'm looking at Chat Smokehouse that we literally, uh, for some, some individuals that came in this year, we had over 45 people that signed up. Half of them didn't pay, because mm. they didn't have it, Barry. Yeah, that's, you know? the, yeah, that's the thing. We, not to pick on any events, because no, no. as somebody once said, no money, no mission, which I keep going back to the money. I get it. You can have the most honorable goals mm -hmm. and mission, but if you don't, sustain yourself, what have you done? So I, I get both sides, and that's why I'm mm -hmm. playing a little bit devil's no, advocate here with you. But that's what is important about doing it that way is you have to, it's again, like you said, it's understanding what the community has and needs rather than trying to shoehorn your mission, your thoughts down but, under them. But this goes back to, you know, we got about sustainability. This is where it goes back to the responsibilities of our local foundations, of our city, of our city administrations. If we're able to promote all of this, case in point, 
Volkswagen, one of the one of the things that they stated why they picked our city was because they love the art. Yeah. They love the art. Well, that's great. They're coming in from Germany, y'all, loving the art. But I can't get folks from East Lake to love the art. What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing? If I could be able to uh, promote arts where it's a cultural tourism feature for our city, fantastic. But what am I doing for the folks that live inside this city who don't feel that magic? It's an interesting, it's an interesting point, and it's a real point, and one, quite frankly, that I probably, as entertainment writer for the paper, missed. Uh, I'm guilty in that. Well, I know I am. Uh, I spent when all this Renaissance started. I, you know, I was excited about it bought into it still am yeah you can feel it it's palpable mm -hmm. but it is not touching every community or market or or, or part of the, the community uh by any stretch really there are there's some largely underserved parts of the community that are not being and not just folks of color because no no, no no you know because poor is poor <laughs> you know <laughs> however you want to look at it poor is poor but um, all jokes aside you know when we look at Revitalization or gentrification? Yeah. What, how are we defining how are we moving forward? As I look at some of our city's growth and the investments that we have placed, especially in the downtown area, is the impact being affected? Is that being, I lost my train of thought. Is that being felt by the rest of the community? You know, I still have folks that say they, um, and again, you know, I'm working in some really low-income communities where they have not even been to the mil new Miller Park. Yeah. Part of this, and I think this stemmed um, from the uh, conversation you and I had a couple months ago, uh, and it's the same question, just probably asking it a little different oh, way. Some of it, and again, it's devil's advocate here, now that I've thought about it so much, I see it. I just wonder if it's a sinister thing or just a reality of, there are a lot, of, I know a lot of the people that do a lot of these events that, were, that, uh -huh. that happened in this city. Yes. And I don't believe that in their heart, they woke up and said, I need to keep that group, agreed. that poor group in East Lake. No, agreed. I think they woke up and they said, how do I do my job and what is my job and here is, here is my list of, if it's 10 things, they just stopped it at 10, they didn't go to 15, which would be get East Lake and, and get more people involved. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I called it, I think I told you, ticking off boxes. Mm -hmm. I think that there is a lack of, I don't think that it's intentional. I don't think that at all. I think it's a lack of cultural awareness. I think that when we talk and promote and push out all this art programming, we have to think again about this mantra that art is for all. And we have to make sure that it's more inclusive. Yeah, and how do we get it? How do we get it? What, yeah, and so what I'm hearing is think that and then think outside the box. If I need funding to get buses. Right. Or, or take my artist there. But why are you, by my, my uh, argument with some folks is that this shouldn't be an add-on. It should be already inside of your, your strategic planning. 
because if it's an add-on case in point, if you have an endowment fund for your organization, I'll just use this example, and you're asking for money from an arts build or from a local foundation to help me um, increase my audience development or help me do more outreach to community of color, why don't you go into your own fund uh, to reach out to do this versus asking for a dollar? Because if it was meant for you to do it and you have the true intentions on doing it and you know you have money inside your pockets, that's what you, it should have been part of your whole plan. I, I, I got you. I got you. And, and that is, from what I know from a lot of these organizations, that is a different way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm, what, I'm, what I'm praying for is that we don't, someone asked me recently, you know, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to be uh, the leader in inclusion and diversity? Far from it. Far from it. I want people to feel comfortable to feel uncomfortable and I said it before and I use that line a lot I need for some of our cultural institutions some of our folks that have that type of influence to say that hey we need to be inclusive of all folks and there's nothing wrong in saying that because if we build our audience we in turn build our community right right I like that be uncomfortable be comfortable enough in being uncomfortable mm -hmm. that's good I one of the uh, sound core workshops that they did which sort of helps teach artists how to be professional yes. musicians how to be professional musicians mm -hmm. i don't remember who one of the speakers said if you're not uncomfortable you're not doing it right right agreed if you're getting up and think you're doing everything you should be doing you're not doing nearly enough so it's funny i was talking to a deacon blues sure um who's going to be doing some things for us next year and he said to me and it was so profound but he was saying like the message is right. It all depends who the messenger is. And I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he's like, you're the message to do more, to be more. We get that. He said, but who is giving that message to the community? And I said, explain deeper. He said, sometimes you need someone from within that own community that you're trying to serve to be able to articulate to their community why this is needed, why is it necessary. I'll put it another way. Please. And I wrote a column about this probably three or four weeks ago. Um, uh, and I'll give him credit because it was asking a great question. But uh, Mitch Ryder, mm -hmm. of Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Did Wheels, mm -hmm. now lives here. He and I meet regularly to talk. And he just sort of offhandedly, he's lived in Chattanooga now for going on two years. Yeah, two, three years. Mm -hmm. So he comes from a big city, Detroit, mm -hmm. where he grew up, where he's much loved and known. And, and so he, he, like you, has a, he's a complete outsider. Mm -hmm. And he said to me one day, there are a lot of people doing very creative, artistic, basically cool things. Mm -hmm. But he said, who's pulling the wagon? <laughs> Isn't that great? Wow. See, and in the past, wow. Allied Arts was pulling the wagon. In the past, you had uh, downtown partnership. Right. Carla Pritchard, with the you know the help of River City, um, was pulling the wagon. You, you even probably having just moved here could probably point to the four or five people that were pulling the wagon. For sure. For sure. Part of, and it's interesting to talk now because part of what I think has happened is 
with all of this renaissance if, that I keep talking mm -hmm, about, mm -hmm. I think we have a lot more wagons and a lot more people pulling wagons. There may be smaller wagons and they're not all going in the right direction. Amen to that. But in some ways from where I sit, I think that's a good thing because it kind of blew up. You know, it's weird to say because it, it right. blew up the one wagon. <laughs> right. But the one wagon didn't have everybody in it is what we're saying. Well, when you, let, me go, let me address it this way. And I like, I like the phrase, uh, you know, who's, who, who got this wagon rolling? Should that not be our city administration? Because I feel that there has to be some, some leadership in making sure that, again, art is for all. And I think that we, for our advocates to make sure that we have the, this, this uh, equality in the arts and this equitable yada, yada, yada in the arts, that should be from our city administration because we, that's why I went to talk to city council because I'm saying that we need someone to make sure that everyone is represented mm -hmm. inside the realm of the arts. And we all, as you say, we got these different wagons. What direction are we going? You know, is, is it for, uh, I'm trying to be careful, but you know, I'll just say it. Is, is it to gain a dollar? Who is leading these wagons? What direction are we going? But this should be a responsibility. Other cities of our size has an office for cultural arts. We do. You know, we have an office for public art, and I think that's fantastic. And I think our current administration has been brilliant on making sure that there is a, a spotlight for our creators, as they call it right now. I think the logo is the City of Creators. But you can't create if you ain't got no tools. No money, no mission. And my thing is that, so we're tying back to the arts. If we're a city of creators, but my toolbox is empty, and I'm going trying to find out who leaves the wagon, well, heck, who just came up with the line city creators? City administration. So maybe we should go to city administration to say, okay, well, since we got the city of creators, and we're trying to be in an inclusive uh, and diverse city, what leadership do we need to do? Give me, give me, some, give me some pointers. Because I'm here to tell you, Barry, as much as I, and I'm, I know I'm gonna get hit for this and I'm cool with it, as much as I love public art, as much as I love uh, the, the, the beautiful artwork that's being done throughout the city for public art, I can't tell Johnny, who's living in Alton Park, about this particular piece that's sitting over here at the Betsy, in front of the Betsy Public Art, because guess what? He can't get to it. Right. And once I and once I hopefully be able to, get, to expose him to it, where he can value it, how does that enhance his life at that moment? Did I teach him how to build? He's a creator, right? Where's his tools? We have got to take a look at what we're putting money into. We have to take a look about the investment that we're doing because it goes back to what you're saying about no money, no mission. We got a whole mess of money out here. There's a whole mess, and I'm just talking about from our budget, our city budget. I'm not going to even go to local foundations. We have a budget for the city to do so much. 
where is the dollars going into investing in the arts in our local community? Shame all but one person, and that's what I told the city council. <laughs> I'm blessed to, and let me freeze that thing because I don't want to come across being, being uh, over-serving. I, I, I've been blessed to be able to raise money. Blessed that not a lot of nonprofits, minority-based organizations that can, can raise a dollar. You know, so I've been blessed to raise this money, and I've been blessed to do these programs throughout some of these youth and family development centers uh, here in the downtown area and abroad. But I'm one person, I'm one organization. There are other folks out here doing the same type of thing. But the leadership in that wagon and the folks that are doing the wagon, that needs to come from city administration. And I'm just going to put it out there. If we're investing in our city, that has to have some leadership and that comes back to our city administration, no matter who's running it. I've kept you a, a while. <laughs> I want to tie it I back to, to no, no, not at all. I want to tie it back to and, and wrap all everything Please. up. Please. You, about a year ago, right? Yes. You, you opened the office a couple hundred feet from here. Yep. Jazzanooga in a building. You told me you realized you were spending money on rent Mm -hmm. that you could be better served putting into programming. Yep. So you moved into this, <laughs> yep. which was a then unused empty building, which you've done a lot of work to, um, to save that money. And then you started taking programming out into the Alton Parks and the East Lakes, right? I just realized that, um, you know, every, I always go back to, again, to your question, what is Jazzanooga? It's <laughs> the community for it to be. I realized that, you know, we, we have to evolve. You know, there has to be a point where you take a look at some of the accomplishments that you've done, take a look at some of the challenges that you have, and be able to grow from that, hopefully. You know, I don't talk a lot or brag, as some people may say. You know, we're one of the front runners when it comes to urban music in the city as a promoter. Over the years, we have done over 200-something shows. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't need to uh, pat myself on the back with that because I get that from every time that a person says, thank you for bringing Take Six. Thank you for bringing Layla Hathaway. Thank you for bringing Big Frida. We have been in the forefront of making sure that there is free education for arts programming here. I've tried my darndest, you know, from our Keys for Life program for senior citizens and for children for our dance classes, for our Urban Arts Collective, from Usher. Youth Music Academy. I've uh, got a little print uh -oh, out here. Oh, so go ahead, stuff. I'm sorry. Radio <laughs> Show, Urban Arts Collective, Create, the Chattanooga Region mm -hmm. Entrepreneurial Artist Training Experience. So that's what I was getting at. That, that's, it's not just putting on a show. Far from it. You know, we're more than just a festival. So we realized that how do we able to articulate that that makes sense to people? And, um, that means that we have to take a look at how we define ourselves. You know, Jazz and Nougat is a program. Jazz and Nougat is a movement um, inside the community, which will never go away. But we realize that um, that, can be har that can harm us because when you describe Jazz and Nougat to some, they instantly think about music. Mm -hmm. um, we realized when we moved into this building, uh, we were very, very fortunate through River City a company to give us this space, to give us this space to let us do our program, which saved us a lot of money in rent. 
here because rent, yeah, rent's expensive now, Barry. Uh, to be able to go out here to do more programming. We've been very fortunate to get uh, a national, two national awards um, from two national awards and as well as getting, uh, I think we're totally brain dead, Barry, I'm sorry. I'm assuming grants. Yeah, two, two national grant awards. We received it from the National, national Endowment of Humanities for Cultural Preservation received from the National Endowments of the Arts. We've received, of course, the Levitt uh, Foundation. And on top of that, we got Usher to come inside of here uh, to give us a little bit of money. Um, and also to give us a feature on his TNT Neighborhood Sessions uh, performance, right. which featured one of our, one of our students. Saying all this, I said that uh, we have to we have to be able to define what else that we're doing outside of performances. So we're changing our name, um, which will in actually be a umbrella for the other services that we do. In January, we're opening up our arts and culture incubator. That will be for eight artists, emerging artists here inside the city, where they will have free space to be able to do what they do best is showcasing their gifts and talent. Along with that, Barry, that we're giving them seed money to do projects, and they will do the projects inside the community with inside the rec centers, or I should say that I keep saying rec, I apologize within the youth and family development centers, they'll do these projects throughout the year for free for the community. And we in turn will give them money to do these services. That's number one. Number two is that we realize that we got funding to open up our arts and culture incubator. We're calling it the hub. It is a collaboration with uh, the city and with us that we're providing up in the John Patton Center on the second floor, which was uh, at time underutilized space, a creative hub haven for emergent artists of color and women. It'll be up to eight folks that we give the money to and they uh, give the space to. Also, they will be getting um, free training and working with a consultant uh, every quarter to help them with their business plan to move forward. We also give them seed money and all of this they get for free with the condition that they do all of their projects inside, rec inside the youth and family development centers for the community for free. Uh, so think about it as a, I always look at it like a society of work, what's it called, society of work, um, where, but it's a creative workspace for these individuals, the yeah, emerging teaching artists. Teaching the teachers to teach. Pretty so much. is that... What is the new name? The new, I'm sorry, the new name of what we're doing is called RISE. No, it's going to be called the RISE Collective. Um, and what it is is that, you know, it's, it motivated me because I said that despite of all of the barriers that we deal with in this city, we continue to rise. And we continue to advocate, we continue to put that spotlight on our community. One more. You go ahead. Do you, you know. feel like... <laughs> My energy to wear so. I know, mine too. <laughs> I talk too damn much. I talk too damn much. Go ahead. Do you feel like 
I mean, because you're seeing the same, I keep calling it a renaissance, but there yeah. is an energy. There is a, a movement mm -hmm. among creatives in Chattanooga that I've not seen in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're now able to jump on that moving train, if that's the right way to put it? Do you feel like you're hitting obstacles, dead ends that people, or does it feel like, is there anybody reaching back type of thing when I talk about the wagon? Well, that's, deep. that's deep. What a deep question, Perry. Because that's deep. Um, yes. Uh, we can't move forward unless we move back. We can't move forward if we don't recognize our past. Um, you know, we recently lost, and I did what? Oh man, we recently lost um, a lot of cultural legends here in this city, um, such as William Price, uh, Booker Scrubs. Absolutely. And I realized the the stories that they shared with me about the about how our city was a mecca for entertainment and the arts back in the day, especially here with inside the ML King Boulevard. And I, I feel that that history will be lost. That history will be lost because we don't share the story to the brand new generation of creatives. Um, so that's one of our true missions. But I want to go to that question that there are still barriers. There's still barriers to break here. You know, I think that for us to be sustainable is breaking barriers as a minority-based organization. Um, for us to be advocates for the ones who don't know how to advocate for themselves, who are not, who are not given the opportunity to come to the table to discuss how ways to make bigger positive differences through the power of the arts. I, I, there's not a lot of us that come to the table. When I say us, there's not people, a lot of people of color that are, are able to come to the table. We don't own the table. Well, let me be 100. We don't, we don't own the table. So when I get an opportunity to sit down, and what I mean by the table is uh, some of the funders, some of the folks that are taking a look at our planning process of how to move forward in our city for creative arts. When I get the opportunity to sit at the table, I don't just represent me. I represent the whole slew of me's. It, it sounds like from what we're saying too, that not only you don't own the table, that there are a lot of people that don't even know there is a table. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> That's a big, I mean, I, I don't mean to be, you know, whatever, clever with that. That's the truth. If you don't know, if you don't know that it's even out there, and that's the, one of the things, like going back to Holly, um, those guys in that prison flat told me they didn't even know that was a possibility. So if you don't even know. <laughs> it kills me. You know, you got people like Rondell Cryer right now who do a detention program for, for the teens. Who knew about that program? Yeah. Where is he getting funding at? Right now, we have been able to find funding for him to continue for another year. He never got funding before in the proper way. And so, that is a big problem. That, that goes back to that church, that group that yep. I spoke to. There, there was, I mean, the, the city, even then, did a, does a lot of things. They offer a lot of programs, but people weren't even aware about uh -oh. it. If you don't know, then they might as well not exist. So, all right, Shane, thank you. 
No, um, thank we can you. do this, and we will. <laughs> if I, I can I talk you into it again, we'll do it again. Uh, I hope it's I made sense. It, it I, oh, I think it was very fascinating. I think it. I think it's an important subject. I think it's. Uh, uh, I'm. I'm glad we're finally talking about it. And again, that's partly my fault for. Um, you know, there's. Not to make excuse, there's just so much going on. If you don't, from my point of view, you don't see it. You don't yeah, see but Barry, it. You know what? You know, don't. Let me just say this to you, and because we got all this bike and all, and just what have you. But let me openly say to you, you care. Having somebody to sit down with you to really listen to your story. it means so much more than you know, simply because with me, for example, being a person of color, to sit with someone who I can genuinely call my friend, who has followed me through all this programming and craziness that I've done in the city, but um, for you to have a, just a listening ear, that means more than you ever will know. Yeah, I think it's important, and it's not a, you know me, it's not a self-serving thing. I think it's I important. Um, nothing, I mean, the only thing I can do is put it out there, and that's, I think that's important. I think it's important, too. I think that hopefully, again, that people will recognize that we could do so much yeah. if we could break down some of these barriers. All right, Shane, right. thank you so much for your time. Thank you, thank you. Thank you guys for listening. People are strange. People get better. People. People who need people. Shining happy people. They suffer people. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day. I'm so satisfied. I'm on my way. started this podcast uh, a little over two months ago to, in order to talk to people just like my guest today. His name is Shane Morrow. He is the founder and executive director of Jazzanooga, 